Hello to all the Rugby League diehards and welcome to another episode of Six to Go, Belgium's number one rugby league podcast still. Of course, my name is Tom Campbell and it's great to have your company. As we head into today's episode, I can't wait for my guest today as we cover six topics related to the game or even their own career. My guest this week is Peter Bedell. Pete is a six-time award-winning journalist and one of the very best we have in the game of rugby league. He's covered the NRL for over two decades and is a best-selling author as well all of which has prepared him for his career highlight, which I'm sure he himself would admit, and that is coming on the 6 to Go podcast. Hope you enjoy our chat. Here's Peter Bedell. I'm joined by Peter Bedell as the next guest of the 6 to Go podcast. Happy New Year, Pete. How are you, mate? G'day, Tom. Happy New Year to you, mate. It's an exciting year, this one, and I'd like to start off with Payne Haas' situation, if we can. His, his contract has been talked about a lot over the past couple of months, and in particular, it made some waves in about the middle of last year, and then just sort of, just sort of died away. Can you give me an update there on Payne Haas? Yeah, well, it's funny, Tom. I've been probably at the coalface of most of those reports, as you know, covering the Broncos on a daily basis. And look, this is where it stands. So, the Broncos board have approved a six-year extension for Payne Haas. Now, he's currently off contract at the end of 2024, so they've agreed to add another three years onto that current deal. So it's effectively a six-year upgrade from 2021 through to the end of 2027. So that, that the board has ratified that deal to be put to Payne Haas. Now, it's up to Payne to decide whether he wants to sign it. Now, at this stage, he hasn't done that. And there's a, there's a bit of a spanner in the works, not so much to do with Payne Haas and his views towards the Broncos as a club, but more some issues from what I'm told and what's been reported externally by other journalists as well. It's in relation to Payne Haas and his management. Uh, he's got some issues apparently with, with his current agent and he's working through that now. Whether he severs ties with his agent in the fullness of time, we'll see. But that's that's apparently one part of why he hasn't signed at this stage. So the other the other thing, Tom, is he's currently contracted for another three years. So the Broncos are in no real rush. They're not panicking about the situation. And they're also cognizant of the fact that they need results. I mean, Payne Haas is arguably the best prop in the game at the moment. He's probably worth close to 900000 to a million a year. So... If you're playing Haas, you would want to be playing at a team that can be challenging for premierships and, and regular finals appearances. So I think Payne is also looking closely at the Broncos setup and wants to see some or take comfort in the fact that the club will improve in the coming seasons and be playing finals football. And I think, Tom, if if they make the finals in 2022, I think that will be a big step towards keeping Payne Haas at Red Hill because the reports I'm getting is that he's got no issues with the club. And he's very happy with his teammates there. So if the if the Broncos can get firing as a club, I think Payne Haas will stay there for the long haul. God, it's tough for a team to do a to do a good deal, isn't it? Because you know, like <laughs> <laughs> Payne Haas's contract, it's probably the best in the league as far as a team friendly deal. Because what would he be on about five or six hundred thousand at the moment? And like you said, he's playing like a million dollar player. Yeah, well, he had he had an upgrade mid-season, Tom. So he's now on seven hundred and fifty thousand. So that puts him he, he's, I guess, now the highest paid forward at the Broncos. And they were obviously cognizant of the fact that he's probably underpaid. 
because he did a six-year deal when he was 18 years old. So naturally, as his form really shifted dramatically, he became an origin player within 10 games. The, the Broncos have acknowledged that they needed to bump up his pay. They've done that. So, but yeah, look, the Jason Tamalolo 10-year deal is is another another one to be looked at cautiously, Tom. I mean, I, I was... I was stunned at the time to hear that he'd sign a 10-year deal and they're dangerous deals. I think, you know, to me, I would never sign a player for more than three or four years. But if you can get a 10-year deal as a player, why not? It it shores up your future. Did that situation change at all when Ben Eichen got there? No, not, not, not to a great degree, Tom. I mean, Ben's obviously very capable. He's the new head of football at the Broncos. Um, But he's, he's, very relaxed about the situation. I've spoken to Ben a number of times about Payne Haas's contract, and he said, "Look, when he sorts out, you know, his own affairs with his manager, and and we also hear Tom, of course, that he's formed a close bond with Sonny Bill Williams, who, of course, is a Roosters legend and has close ties to the to the Bondi club. So naturally, you'd think the Roosters would be keen on him at some point if he became available. So there's also talk about Sonny Bill having a big influence there. But look, Ben, I can." knows that, same as what I said before, Tom, if Brisbane start firing, if they get wins on the board and they play finals football and they can convince Payne Haas it's the culture and the place that can deliver premierships for him, which is, one all, which is what all players want, then I believe he'll stay. I'd like to have a chat about Wayne Bennett. Was it in his control to leave South Sydney? If he wanted to stay, could he have? Was it even a possibility? Yeah, good question, Tom. Look, I think... With 2020 hindsight, it's probably it's probably not an exaggeration to say that to say that he should have stayed at South Sydney, that South should have given him a new deal and continued his tenure there because it's been a remarkable tenure. And a lot of people thought Wayne Bennett was washed up when he was sacked by the Broncos at age 68. He's since proven at age 71, just turned 72 on New Year's Day. So happy birthday, Wayne! I hope you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> over a cup of coffee because he doesn't drink, of course. But look, I uh, look. We all thought he might be washed up, but look, he's he's he keeps on keeping on. He's got a remarkable constitution, and I, I think though, when he signed the deal, Tom, it was an agreement that he'd do three years, and that there was a succession plan in place, and that was to include Jason Demetriou, his trusted assistant at the Broncos, who followed him to Redfin. And I think that's now materialising nicely. I mean, Souths are in a pretty good position, grand finalists, and it is a big job for Jason Dimitriou. But look, you could have argued that Wayne should have got an extension, and if he probably asked for one, he probably would potentially could have got it. But I think Souths were prepared to stick to the succession plan, and I think Wayne Bennett was also been pretty honourable in that sense. I think he was he felt that Jason Dimitriou's time was now, and he was ready to follow in his footsteps and. I think he's done a good apprenticeship, Jason Demetrio, and now Wayne Bennett can move on to, to greener pastures with the Dolphins. He now has joined the Dolphins. Uh, there was rumour mid-season last year, you know, maybe well, this is when Parramatta were going through a bit of a rut, maybe he joins Parramatta. Um, were there other options on the table or is that just all uh, a fagazi? Uh, look, I don't think there were too many concrete ones, Tom. I mean, look, let's face it, if Wayne Bennett said tomorrow I'm on the open market, I want to sign, you know, any club that didn't have a contracted coach would have naturally been interested. I know I know when Wayne was sacked by the Broncos in 2018, the West Tigers were a genuine option. They were they were keen on him at the time, but he, he went with South Sydney. And I know he had some dialogue with Penrith at the time, uh, and that didn't materialise. But 
But look, I think moving forward, it was the right fit in a sense, Tom. I think Wayne was keen to get back to Queensland. We all know he's a proud Queenslander. He'd done three years in Sydney. I don't know how he put up with the traffic, old Wayne. It would have driven him bananas in, in uh, the inner city there. <laughs> but look, he's, uh, look, I think the Dolphins is the right fit. I, I think an expansionary club, Tom, in this environment, there's going to be a lot of pressure on them to succeed, the Dolphins. And they needed... To me, gravitas from day one. And Wayne Bennett brings that. And I just couldn't see any other coach being a better fit for that club. They couldn't have gone in with a rookie coach. And and Wayne Bennett, for me, is the perfect fit for the Dolphins at this point in their existence. When he joined the Dolphins, I thought, great move by the Dolphins, obviously. But to me, you know, Wayne Bennett's not there to, you know, come... 10th and have a good year and then you know hopefully make the eight like uh, to me he 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 should be he should be looking to win at this stage of his career has it stunned you that they haven't been able to jag a really big name signing yet no look, I, look i'm not shocked tom like some people would be i mean i know when there was, there was the initial hoopla around the new team coming in i think a lot of people thought oh great you know this is a grandiose announcement a new team's coming in what a historic day for rugby league all of a sudden, we're going to have a truckload of players wanting to jump on board the Dolphins bandwagon and be part of the new vision for a new club. I'm not shocked, Tom, that we haven't seen a mass amount of signings. And I, and I say this for this reason. I've spoken to people at Dolphins, and this is their rationale, and it makes sense. You think about all the players at the current 16 clubs. They're going back for pre-season November 1 or November 10, November 15. Imagine them walking into their respective clubs and saying, hey, boys, we're about to start pre-season. But guess what? I've just signed for three years with the Dolphins. I mean, you'd have to be a pretty brave player to want to be making that sort of announcement. So I think Tom will start to see more signings in around March, April, May, when there's generally movement at the station in the player market. You know, you'll get disgruntled players, you'll get some guys looking for a move somewhere and I think that's when you'll see the Dolphins start to add add more names but uh, look, I, I thought they would have added a couple more, Tom, to be honest. I thought a bigger name like a Calum Ponga or a Cameron Munster yeah, would have signed but at this point, yeah it's a little bit of a concern that they've only got Felice Cafusi, you know, Ray Stone and a couple of others. It's that they, they need a real marquee player and, and I do hope they get one in the next three to four five months. I thought about this recently. Would they go down the route of what St. George Illawarra did this year by Anthony Griffin gets there? He brings in Jack Bird from Brisbane, brings in Josh Maguire from North Queensland, bring in those players who are currently off contract and some clubs are looking to let them go. Is that the route that they might pursue as well? Yeah, well, I think, Tom, they'll really take whatever they can get at the moment. Fair enough. Fair I enough. mean, look, I think, I think Tom, to me, having spoken to their recruitment people, I mean, they're looking at building from the ground up firstly. So that means getting young kids at the right age who can be indoctrinated on the values of the Dolphins and what they want to build. So you need to start at the bottom end. And then, obviously, um, you, I think you want a big fish. You want one or two big fish at the top. Yep. And then the middle will sort itself out just through the natural evolution of the player market. I think I think signing players, for example, Tom, numbers eight to sort of 21, 20, I don't think that will be a problem. Yep. I think the problem is getting your top five, your big five. And I thought the Titans are a wonderful template, Tom. In 2007, they signed an outstanding group of players. They signed Scott Prince, who was their playmaker. They signed Luke Bailey, who was their grunt man in the, mid, in the middle. 
they signed Preston Campbell, who they identified as the, the people's champion that they could relate to and would come to games. So that's the sort of mentality the Dolphins need. I think they need to identify three or four blokes and look at key pillars, certain things that they'll bring to the club, what they can do for the fans, and how they can attract other players. And I and I think for me, Tom, looking at the market right now, I think they have to get Kalen Ponga. I, I think he's a must. He's got an option in his favour for next year, which makes him available. And we know there's been some turbulence at the Knights. So if I'm the Dolphins, I'd go all out for Ponga, and then I think he'll be a magnet for other players. We mentioned Jason Demetrio earlier. He takes over from Wayne at South Sydney, obviously. He's in an incredibly rare position, isn't he? And usually a coach takes over from a bottom four dumpster fire, but he gets <laughs> he gets handed a grand final team. And uh, is, what sort of pressure is there on him going into next season? Because they did just go to the grand final. Yeah, he's been given a Ferrari tab. <laughs> I hope he can drive one. I think he's on enough coin at Redfin to buy one, JD. Um <laughs> But, uh, no, look, I, I think it's a wonderful opportunity for Jason. Look, I've known him. I dealt with him at the Broncos and previously when he was at the Cowboys and assistant to, to Paul Green in the year they won the comp in 2015 at North Queensland. I, I think he's one of the – he's at the vanguard of the next super coaches for me. I know that's a big statement, but I have a huge rap on Jason Demetrio. I think he's going to be a very good NRL coach. I, I don't think – I think he's got the temperament. Anyone you talk to knows his tactical ability is second to none, so he reads the game well. And he's got a very good ability, Tom, from my dealings and just talking to players in and around him. He's got a great connectability with players. He understands what they need. He's got a good feel for people. He's a people person. So you mesh tactical ability, people skills, and work ethic, which he's shown he's got because he's won four titles in the lower tiers. And I think you've got the makings of a very, very good NRL coach. And I, I don't think, look, it's batting after Bradman, replacing Wayne. But I, I think they'll make the finals next year. I don't think they'll win the comps out. So they've lost too much quality players. Yeah. But I, I think Jason Dimitri will get them to the finals and that will be a great launch pad for a very good coaching career. I'd like to have a chat about Paul Green. Paul Green leaves the Cowboys halfway through the season to chase the Broncos gig, doesn't get that, takes the Queensland gig, leaves after one season. Was there an option in his favour to leave the Queensland job? So it was a, it was a bit of a mutual agreement, Tom, where I, I think Paul, having spoken to him about this, was he was a little bit blindsided to a degree. I mean, he was keen to coach on. He wanted to do the job, make no mistake about that, in 2022. But I also understand that the QRL had the view that they wanted more certainty than just a year-to-year proposition. I think they were done with guys just, you know, for example, like Kevin Walters, who suddenly got the Broncos job, said the quitters, Queensland coach. They wanted certainty in the program. They wanted a longer-term appointment. And I think if Paul Green, for example, could have committed for three years, they would have done that. But Greeny, to his credit, was pretty honest and said, look, guys, my, my dream is still to coach in the NRL. That's still my preferred option. And if, if an NRL gig comes up, then I, w- I would take it. So so I think he was prepared. To, he certainly wanted to keep coaching with Queensland, but he also has one eye on the future, Tom, with, with the NRL. And, you know, I've got to be honest, Tom, it's a bit of an interesting one. I thought, I thought Greeny would have snagged another 
in a real geek by now. I'm surprised that it hasn't happened. And I, you'd have to be a little bit nervous because he hasn't coached now in the NRL for a while. And the longer the seasons go without Greeny returning to the NRL, it almost, it's like the ship starts to sail away. So I, I hope Greeny re-enters the NRL in the next year or two because I think he's got unfinished business as a coach. I don't think he's finished as a coach. I think he's got more in him. I think he can win another premiership as a coach, but I think he needs a fresh club, a fresh environment and fresh people to deal with because I think we all agree he probably outstayed his welcome at the Cowboys after doing a wonderful job delivering their first ever comp. So, so look, a new club could be a sense of reinvigoration for Paul Green. So watch this space. It's interesting to hear you say that. I actually, I actually look at it from a little bit of a different angle. I remember being on air at the, at the time and um, – after they made that uh, fantastic run um, and lost to the Storm in the grand final uh, where Michael Morgan was just on fire, I actually thought it, it, it might have been um, uh, an okay time for Paul Green to leave then. And I, th- mm. I think that that was at the time Wayne was leaving the Broncos as well. So maybe there was an opportunity to, to leave there as well. But to me, they, they did fail to evolve over the next couple of years. And I actually think that a year or two out of the game might do Greeny the world of good. What's your thought on that angle that it might actually do him uh, some good to have a year out of the game? Yeah, it's, it's not a bad point, Tom. I mean, gap years work in all stages of life, don't they, in all various forms? I mean, I, I think it could be a, an advantageous thing for Paul um, to take stock of where he failed ultimately at the Cowboys, but largely where he succeeded. I mean, he had seven one years overall, and five of them were, were very good. I mean, he, he did a remarkable job there, winning a comp, their first ever comp, and then getting him to, as you said, Tom, to that 2017 fairy tale grand final appearance. So he's no mug, Paul Green. I still rate him among the better coaches in the game, and I think he's ready. I think he deserves another opportunity, but I, I think you're right. Sometimes taking a step back you can have a fresh lens at some of the mistakes you made and how you can improve yourself as a person I think there's some man management issues and we often hear whispers about Greeny with dressing room problems and is he probably too cynical at times or too hard on players at times and I know Greeny's tried to work work on that to be you know more personable with players and I, I think the Queensland players seem to warm to him so Look, I, I think you're right, Tom. I, I don't think he's finished as a coach, and maybe a year or two away has give just just restoked the fire and given him another sense of motivation to come back a better NRL coach. Billy Slater takes over from Paul Green as Queensland coach. Uh, he's never been a head coach, obviously, but he's pretty much done everything else. He's uh, we, we've seen his influence at Melbourne with players of Nico Hines and Ryan Pappenhausen and Craig Bellamy credits a lot of their success to him. What do you think of the QRL's decision to go with Billy? Because Billy was in the in the frame with Paul Green to take it on last year. Yeah, I think it's outstanding, Tom. I mean, look, I, I know that there aren't a lot of options, really. I mean, if, if Billy wasn't to get the nod, who would they go for? There's probably not a great list of candidates lining up, banging down the door. But I will say this, Tom, I think Billy Slater has the makings of an outstanding origin coach. I mean, I know he's, he's already gone on record to say he doesn't really harbour any desire to be an NRL club coach week to week. Um, I think he values his good looks too much, Billy, to, to be uh, coaching week to week in the NRL. But uh, look, I, I think I just think he's tailor made for origin coaching, Tom. I mean, to me, you've got to have a different skill set as a coach at origin level. I think you need it's less about the X's and O's for me, and it's more about engendering what origin means to the and what the jumper means and. 
Billy Slater played, what, 31 origins for Queensland. If anyone understands what a play means to succeed for Queensland, to play for Queensland, it, there's no, there's very few men who have done what Billy Slater have done in the origin arena. So he's tailor-made for it. I think he gets it. I think he'll communicate that well to the players. I don't think he'll get bogged down so much in tactics, but I think he'll have an instant respect from the players having been there and done that. And I know even just watching him or listening to him in his commentary, Tom, with Channel 9, He's got an outstanding football brain and he articulates himself well. He keeps, he, he crystallises information well. And I think he'll give players very good clarity of message. And I think he's got the work ethic to succeed as well. We saw that as a player. There were very few players that had his his 1% approach. Um, so I think I think Billy is is going to be a very good origin coach. And I think he can get the Maroons back on, on track in 22. I really do. It's interesting to see those uh, players transition into those uh, post-career roles, isn't it? And, you know, you're, you're absolutely right there. Billy is so impressive on air. And I'm sure that all these players that transition into these media roles have the knowledge. It's just a matter of how to convey that to an audience. And he does it so brilliantly. I, in my opinion, him and Michael Ennis are probably the, the two best at that. And I'll tell you this, Tom, too, just on Billy, this is a great story that someone at Melbourne told me when he was a player. Yep. it's a tactic where it's, a, it's most NRL players would be aware of the term, the pendulum. And I can't explain it completely, but if I mention it to NRL players, they'd know that it's to do with basically the pendulum. It's the, it's the connectability or the interactions between the fullback and the two wingers and how they move at certain parts on the field, almost like a pendulum together. Yep. And I know Billy would get angry if his wingers weren't in certain parts of the field on the pendulum. Like he was so detailed. He was so driven that you had to be in the right space in the pendulum. You had to have it working perfectly to to make sure that Melbourne had the best chance of success on a kick return or starting a set. So that's how that's the sort of attention to detail I'm talking about. You know, Billy as a player was was so so passionate to, to get the best out of himself and I think he'll bring that passion to coaching and I think he'll he'll get the best out of every player he coaches at, at origin level. That's fascinating, and that and the prospect of him working with someone like Kalen Ponger is is great as well for any Queenslander. Oh, unbelievable! I mean, and, and I know Kalen would would have great respect for Billy and what he's achieved. So look, yeah, it shapes as a great series, Tom. I know, I know the Blues are forging a dynasty at the moment, and I'm probably slightly a little bit happy about that, Tom, because I'm a I'm a Blue at heart, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> I have to confess to the listeners, I was born in, in New South Wales. I'm from Maroubra, a proud bra boy, 2035. Um, but um, the last 15 years I've lived in Queensland, so I'm a bit torn these days, Tom. A bit adopted. In the- <laughs> <laughs> I fall um, under the residency rule. That, that's what I say. There's, play- there's players that have played Origin for different states for less, for less um, credibility than that. Exactly. If, if Adrian Lamb can get a gig, why can't I? <laughs> <laughs> um, will Wayne be involved at all in Origin this year? He, he uh, he's not actually head coaching this year. Yeah, look, I don't think so, Tom. Look, I, from what I understand, the QRL are looking to maybe have Wayne involved in a in a consultancy role or as part of a senior advisory board, but more to do with the sort of overarching program in in terms of developing the next wave of coaches, looking at grassroots structures where things can be bettered across the board and the program. I don't think you'll find Wayne at training day-to-day, you know, chewing Billy's ear off and wandering around the paddock. I think, you know, Billy's got his assistants. He's got Josh Hannay there, Jonathan Thurston's on board. And, of course, 
looks like Cameron Smith, if he finally signs his contract to the QRL, <laughs> will also be part of the, the team if they can track him down. So, yeah, look, that, that's a pretty formidable setup. And I think Wayne and, and Mal Meninga and those guys will, will look after the, the wider overarching program. I know it's a long way out, but can you give me an origin bolter it can be for either Queensland or New South Wales? Yeah, I was actually thinking about this, Tom. So I reckon, looking at Queensland stocks, they, they're they really thin in the centres, aren't they? Like, Luke, you know, Kurt Capewell had to play in the centres this yeah. year. I believe Selwyn Cobbo oh, I'm with Broncos. you. I'm with you. Yeah. I'm a massive rap on Selwyn Cobbo. I've watched him even before he played NRL, and I remember someone ringing me and saying, this kid is the next Latrell Mitchell. And I then went and watched him and thought, wow, he moves like Latrell. He's got a great, he's got a great physicality. He loves, he loves contact on kick returns. And I think if, if the Broncos start the season well and Selwyn has a good start, I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be afraid to pick him. He's 101 kilos and 190 centimetres. I think he's got the tools to be a good origin player. It might be before his time, Tom, but if you're asking for a bolter, that Selwyn Cobbo could be one for me. I was, I was thinking about uh, who I, who my bolter would be if I was to pick one before I asked you that question. <laughs> and you, it, it's always safe to go in there with youth in a lacking area of, of yes. a team. And of uh, Cobbo, he, he fits them all. He's, he's very yeah. exciting and uh, great Yeah, actually, speed. the other one, Tom, the other one I thought about – if Dale, let's just say, let's hope Daly Cherry Evans stays fit. But if he was to get injured, maybe Sam Walker. Would yeah. you pick Sam Walker? I mean, I, I think he's a wonderful young seven, and they've got to start blooding for the future eventually. You know, Daly's turning 33, I think, next year. So, look, I, I think don't be surprised if Sam Walker makes an appearance in the next year or two. Yeah, that's really exciting. I'd like to ask you a question about your own career. Uh, what is your favourite part of being a rugby league journo? <laughs> well, it's not it's not the pies in the press box, believe it or not, Tom. <laughs> Everyone thinks it is. <laughs> they just say, oh, do you get to go to the footy for free and just see pizza in the box? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. Um, but no, I, I've got to say, Tom, um, it's a couple of things. I, I have a great passion to tell the fans something they don't know because I remember I was eight years old when I decided that I want to be a sports journalist. I just knew from that day that, in, as a young as eight, that's what that's what I wanted to be, and I was going to do anything possible to be one. And I always, I always liked as a young kid. I read every journalist. I read Peter Falingos, all the you know Ian Heads, the doyens of rugby league journalism. I would read everything to try and better to prepare myself for the day that I'd be a sports journalist. And so I now love telling people things they don't know. I like informing the reader or the viewer, and. I remember my first boss, Neil Cadigan, at Big League magazine, who paid me 29 grand. I reckon he ripped me off, Caddo, but he's still a great man. He, he gave me great journalistic advice. He said early on, Pete, just never forget you are telling someone's story, and with that comes great responsibility. And, and that means I've never forgotten that line. I think it's a great sense of power, in a sense, that you have to, to have someone's words. And you can... You can often do damage using those words in the wrong way. So I think to be able to have that responsibility and the trust of a subject sometimes, to, to for them to open up to you and for you to then convey their story in a way that they would find gratifying and, and pleasing, that, that's what I love about journalism or and being a rugby league journalist. Also, Tom, the other thing for me, I love 
being on the inner sanctum on special days. So, for example, grand final day for me is always magnificent. Like when you walk into the dressing sheds at full time and you go into the winning sheds and you see the euphoria of a Jonathan Thurston hugging Paul Green saying thank you. When you go into the losing sheds and you see the tears, to, to see to see great athletes at their rawest moments, that that's, to me, that that's what still lights the fire in me 25 years later to, to do this job. That, that I love it. I know it's a bit of a question without notice, but is there is there a yarn that you've gotten or a or a story that's come that you've come across that's shocked you the most? Can you pick one out for me? Yeah, geez, there's, there's been so many. Tom, look, oh, there's been a few that really rocked me. I mean, I I used to write or ghost Wendell Sailor's column for the Sunday Telegraph, <laughs> the Great Wendell. He used to be Big Dell, and I was Little Dell. What he used to call me. <laughs> he, he was right. I was about fifty kilos lighter. <laughs> But he, um, he, I had a really good. I formed a really good relationship with Wendell, and when it came to surface that he tested positive, of course, to, to cocaine, that that was quite disappointing for me. Not, not almost as a journalist, I was almost like a mate to a degree. So that was quite. I was quite disappointed for Wendell, and it was great to see him fight back and and take ownership for what he did. Um, but probably there was also the state of origin racism scandal. Tom in 2010 with Greg Inglis and I was stunned when Tamana Tahu walked out of camp after Andrew Johns made a comment about Greg Inglis which that was just unbelievable at the time that a, that a player would walk out in an origin team and but for me probably the most shocking Tom it's probably not the most morally disgraceful but the sucking of Wayne Bennett at the Broncos in 2018 Tom I was right at the coalface and I never thought I'd see the day that the man who started the club won all six premierships for the club is the greatest coach in NRL history would would be sacked by the Broncos. I never thought I'd see that. So that that was pretty shocking to me. I it was a very, very bitter civil war for that twelve months there. And I never thought I'd see the great Wayne Bennett given the bullet. That that was that was a real surprise. Those who laugh last, Pete. Laugh loudest. <laughs> yeah. Well he's got the grin, hasn't he? <laughs> Wayne, he's got the crooked grin. And I think he's still another premiership in him, the old fox. So hopefully he gets one. Well, Pete, that's it from myself. I can't thank you enough for coming on the 60 Go podcast. I appreciate you taking the time and coming on, and hopefully it's not the last time. Uh, always always welcome to come back on, Tom, and um, love talking rugby league, and hopefully we're in for another great season in 22. Bring it on. Thanks, mate. Talk soon. Thanks, buddy. A big thanks to Peter for coming on the show today. He's one of the very best at what he does, and I look forward to having him back again sometime. If you want to catch all of his work, you can head over to the Courier Mail. He's on Twitter as well, at Bedell underscore C Mail. By the way, if you want to get in contact with me, you can on my Twitter, at T Canfell. My name is Tom Canfell. It's been so good to have your company. Until next time, this has been the 60 Go Podcast, and that is full time.